Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show, all of the listeners in the United States and around the world. And you know, to the countries listening around the world, thank you, thank you. I mean, you're doing so much to help me spread the fact that people with disabilities deserve quality of life. I know that in some of the countries, you can't even work because, you know, there isn't accessibility. But know this, know that we in the United States are working with different companies trying to find disability rights leaders that can fight the fight for you. So once again, thank you so very much. And a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act this year. And if you don't know it, Yoshiko's husband who passed away uh, was Justin Dart. And Yoshiko and Justin on their own traveled around the United States three times meeting with people with disabilities, working with different groups to make sure there was a coalition to get the ADA signed. So we will be recognizing that on every show. And to Highmark, our lead sponsor for the past four years. And we have a new, new, very new sponsor. And I'm going to be talking about them in a little bit. So hold on and you'll hear more about them. But first, I want to go to our guest. Oh, I love this. Love this guy. Love him. Love him. Greg Pollock. He is the accessibility officer at PNC. And the first accessibility officer and formerly uh, just had a whole background, you know, working in HR, but he is like a superstar at the National Technical Institute for the Deaf. I just love him. He is just making so many changes, so energetic. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's fantastic to be here. I'm so excited. And I want to mention also that um, before you and I met, I used to listen to the talk show all the time, and I never thought I was going to be honored, so it's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you here. So, Greg, let's talk about you first. Um, what made you select NTID, RIT, as your post-grad university, and what was your experience like at the school? Well, Joyce, before I went into college, I was just like any other student, you know. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to play work or play video games and kind of cruise along my college experience and just graduate and get it all over with. But um, somewhere along the way, I started realizing how important access to quality education was for me. And fortunately, with the guidance of both my parents, who were very active in my life, um, they were adamant that I go into an environment where I was going to be not only accepted, but also challenged to grow. And um, 
when I was looking at different colleges, all I knew was I wanted access to higher education. I didn't just want higher education. I wanted the full experience. And I didn't want to have to deal with any arm twisting and advocating because I am that person myself. And that means that I rely on American Sign Language and American Sign Language interpreters when they are available. So I didn't want to have to deal with that arm twisting. Um, I wanted to be able to go in, get my degree, and graduate. So, um, NTID and the Washington Institute of Technology both um, became the obvious choice for me because of two major reasons. The first one being um, that it had the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, which is a program exclusively for the development of deaf and hard of hearing students, which also translates into we have resources and we have um, access to sign language interpreters and also an equally challenging curriculum, an equally challenging degree. So um, when I applied for the program and I went to visit with um, my family, literally at 11 o'clock at night, we arrived on campus and nothing was open. But there was just something there that said, you know what, this is the place for me. And I put all my eggs into that one basket. I don't recommend anybody do that. Um, I think everyone should always try to have a few options, but I was very fortunate to be able to go right into it. And my experience on campus was so unique for me in my life because never in my life did I have full access to all of the people around me, to my instructors, to my classroom. Um, I was finally among peers that were just like me and understood me and the challenges that I experienced and faced. And the barriers on campus were already mitigated to a point where they were either, you know, um, not visible or not as apparent. So my experience going through college was truly a defining cornerstone of my life. My social life took off from there. I finally realized that um, I was more valuable than I was giving myself credit for. Um, I signed up to be an RA the second year, a resident advisor, and I became a resident advisor. Um, and I think that was kind of the building block for um, this mindset that I developed in college where I want to get up early, I want to go to class, I want to be involved, I want to get um, as many brownie points as I could from volunteer activities or even through the government engagement and all these are things that I would never have done if it wasn't for the truly accessible environment that NTID and OET provided. So I am very proud to say that I am a product of that campus and it continues to be one of the defining experiences of my life. Well, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, obviously. Uh, you know, I'm on the National Advisory Group, but to me, <clears throat> that college, that it just makes all the difference for young people who are deaf. And if you're listening to the show, you're wondering where to go, this technical National Technical Institute for the Deaf, which is connected to RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, it is premier. I mean, it will, just as Greg said, it provides you so many opportunities. It's so highly thought of. I agree with you 100%, Greg. So tell us what happened then. Tell us about your career in Dow and in Michigan, your involvement in the community. 
they are the great question, George. You know, as soon as I graduated, I graduated in a pretty tough economic climate. Um, there weren't very many companies out there that were actively hiring. But fortunately for me, I was so involved on campus, as I mentioned, I went from being a resident advisor to being um, involved in city government and became the city government president for my final two years at IT before I graduated. And through that experience, I networked with so many different um, individuals um, throughout that experience. And one person I met, her name was Katie Hunt, who actually served on the NTID advisory group, Joyce. Um, and I'm not sure if you know who she is. But I she do. Is yes, I do. Wonderful woman. Um, phenomenal human being, and I'm sure that you have the same experience with her. Uh, she and I met when we crossed paths, and I think we just, we kind of headed off, and she had asked me if I had any interest in going to work at the Dow Chemical Company. Now, mind you, at the time, Dow was not um, in my list of cars. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know what Dow did, um, but it was all the way out in Michigan as well, and since Katie had reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in um, applying for a role at Dow, I said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and, you know, I was a communication major while I was at RIT, so my main area was um, public relations, public affairs, um, communication. So naturally, a, chem a chemical company is in the first thought that comes up to you. But I got to tell you, when I went to intern there, I had an out-of-the-world experience. Um, I was offered an environment where I actually took on specific projects that I could own, and I continue to look back and say, those are some of the things that I did while I was at Dow. But in a nutshell, when I um, took on this internship role, I got brought on to a team that was focused on corporate branding and reputation management there. And I helped to drive a couple of critical um, projects out while I was there. And my boss, his name is Willie, the very first day I walked into the door, he sat me down and said, look, I don't have any experience with um, the definite thing. You are my first employee, and I am learning along with you, so I want you to feel comfortable telling me or sharing with me anything that you might feel would help you be successful at your role, because that's my um, commitment to you. I want you to be successful. And from a manager, that's all I could possibly have asked for. Um, I spent the next three months on that team working to um, help them do whatever initiative they had going on at the time. And um, they must have liked me, George, because they asked me to come back about a year later as part of the development program. So I stayed on as a communicator for the next five or six years. And it was a really great place for me to start my career because you have... Um, it really built the foundation for who I am today. They offered me um, insight into government relations. It offered me insight into employee relations and communication relations <coughs> uh, and helped me navigate. Um, and I give them credit for helping me navigate some of the difficult politics of politics in the marketplace today. So it has made me a much better communicator. Um, Somewhere along the way, I got involved in the Disability Employee Resource Group. 
I didn't sign up for it, actually. Somebody had twisted my arm into um, joining the ERG, and I have no regrets about it. I got so involved, and I joined the stand team, and that kind of opened my eyes into uh, the possibilities that accessibility brings us all, and I will, I'm sure I'll dive a little bit deeper into that. But um, it was really being a part of an ERG that helped me realize that, you know, I have a love for diversity and inclusion. I have a love for helping to build an inclusive culture. And eventually, human resources reached out to me while I was working down south in Louisiana as the employee communicator for all six Um And I was down there working when I got a phone call from Human Resources asking if I had an interest in joining the HR function. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I'm ready for something different. I want to build out my goal stuff. I want to try something new. So I accepted the role and I moved up to Michigan again for um, what was actually, I thought, going to be an organizational effectiveness HR analysis role. Um, but two weeks later, the executive um, for Human Resources retired, and a new one comes in and shook everything up. And suddenly, I was in diversity and inclusion, which really worked to my benefit, because I have wanted to move in that direction anyways, and I have wanted to take on more of um, what I feel to be a space that is just dripping with opportunities, and not just but for every corporation now, the hot topic of inclusion and employee engagement. So it is really a very flexible area to be in, and I think the opportunities that created were just so phenomenal. Um, then I moved into a um, diversity and inclusion leadership role for all of um, South North America, which was um, a very rewarding experience in that it taught me really how to navigate the politics of different functions within a company. When we look at a company from the outside, we just see the company, right? We see the brand, but we don't see how complex it is. We don't see the different functions, the sizes of the functions, the clouds that the functions have, the budget, um, and everybody is sort of has this impression that their space is the most important space in the entire company. Um, and of course, you know, people are messed over that all the time. So being in a global role, such as I was, um, one of the opportunities that we have is bringing all these uh, people together under a single vision. It's definitely an intimidating um, plus, but it really defined, I think, um, my career and built this girl stuff into the um, into the girl stuff that I needed to be the accessibility officer today at PNC. Yes, and wow, you know there aren't a lot. I'm sorry to say that that there are not a lot of accessibility officers. Uh, so you know, kudos to PNC for doing that. And Greg, you have like such an incredible background with all the things. Uh, that you have accomplished. And before we talk about PNC, <clears throat> on this time, 
I want to talk about our new sponsor, Employment Options. You don't know how excited I am to have them as a sponsor of the show. Uh, And I just want to tell you that they contacted Voice America on their own because they wanted to make sure that they had disability inclusion out everywhere because of what they do and the options they provide. And in a couple of weeks, Paula, who is the CEO, is going to be on my show. And she is also an author. She's the founder and CEO. And we're going to talk all about the work they do and with SSDI placement or SSI and the work they provide to the community and ticket to work. But they are awesome. They're going to be on. She's going to be on in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. So, Greg, getting back to you. Now for the highlight. Here we go. <clears throat> my favorite company, one of my favorite companies, PNC Financial. How about if you describe to our listeners what your role is there? So, my role, as I mentioned when I introduced myself, is the accessibility officer here at PNC and personal opinion, best job in the world. I am really enjoying that role um, for many reasons, really. Um, but the major components of my role, I often like to say, are accessibility and accommodations across the board of PNC. What is that experience like for employees or customers, and how do they receive accommodations um, and perform essential tasks without any barriers in the way? Um, and the second one is talent. Um, we have a great partnership, and I think that what we what we often try to do at PNC is um, source talent and bring them into the company and also provide them with a meaningful career. As you already know, at PNC, we do not just bring people into the company for the sake of handing them jobs, but we want to create opportunities for advancement for all people with disabilities. Um, so that is a big part of my, what I do here at PNC. And not only do we want to hire people with disabilities, we want to keep them as well. Um, so we have a very comprehensive retention strategy in the work here at PNC that we're continuing to um, enhance because engagement of all of our employees is extremely important. The third area, um, and one of my personal favorites, is technology. Obviously, technology has disrupted our marketplace. It has disrupted the way we live our lives, and it continues to disrupt the way we do things and the way we think. Um, So technology is a big space not only for um, accommodation, but what is the accessibility of all the technology that we bring into the company? Are Are we bringing in companies? technology that can be compatible with, say, Charles Green Readers or um, enhanced listening devices or different uh, types of accommodations that may be necessary. Um, And on top of that, as our technology and innovation executive loves to say, let's not just keep the lights on. Because oftentimes technology is just so focused on one in the business. But we can also look to enhance the light bulb, improve the light bulb, so that we don't have to maintain them as much. Um, so the innovation piece of 
the work that we're doing is by far my favorite. The opportunities in this area alone are not only good for people with disabilities, but they're great for business. If we can solve the pain points across PNC, then we are ultimately making the banking experience easier. Which then positions us as a much better bank to bank with for our customers and a much better place to work for our employees. So technology is a big chunk of that. And then last but not least, the customer experience. Um, I am responsible for partnering with our customer-facing employees and improving the quality of the customer experience in many different ways. For many people, the accessibility space or even the concept of accessibility is extremely reactive. And Joyce, I know you and I both have uh, talked about this so many times. People always think about accessibility or accommodation as a need to comply with a regulation, a need to comply with an employee's rights or a customer's rights. We need to move beyond simply complying with um, with accommodation, but rather how do we make sure that the entire experience is such that we're proactively um, proactively looking into employee and customer needs before they even need to ask the question, before we need to even trigger a progress, a process. How do we get to a place where everyone gets everything that they need before they even have to ask for it? So part of my role is reminding the company that we want to move far beyond simply complying and being more proactive and intentional and thinking about accessibility in our business as usual processes and programs and products and services. Um, and also, the other thing that I did want to mention is very few recognize accessibility as a true business opportunity. It affects the bottom line. It is not just about how we're meeting the needs of people with disabilities, but rather, how do we take pain points in the banking experience and make it easier? ATM took stores in accessibility needs. Online banking falls in accessibility needs. There are so many different products and services that really are the outcome of a accessibility issue or a challenge that needed to be addressed. And innovation really lies at the heart of those needs. Um, and the last thing I would say about uh, the culture here is I think the PNC really recognizes that um, accessibility is not just about addressing challenges where they are. From day one, George, when I walked into the company, we had employees from all the way across the board, legal, retail, realty, um, the care center asking me, okay, so how can we become a more accessible function? And it was happening so much that I decided to call a 75 stakeholder summit, an accessibility summit. And 75 people turned up for this event. Um, and the conversation was simply on the topic of how do we become the best thing for people with disabilities. And they came up with those four major pillars that I just shared with you. Um, accessibility, talent, technology, and the customer experience. And we created goals that everyone has aligned themselves to. And over the next two years, really I've been here for almost two years now, um, over the next two years, we've seen this, this whole experience go from 75 stakeholders to 
hundreds of people who have lined themselves up and saying, I want a piece of this action, I want to support this, I want to help bring accessibility onto the map as a business impaired of a PNC. And it has been a privilege that was such a collaborative environment with such a great and supportive leadership. Well, you know what? First of all, you were excellent for this role, but also everything you said, that says a lot about PNC and their commitment. Because just as you said, uh, it shouldn't be that you have to get there and ask about it. It should already be done. You know, it shouldn't be, oh, please, please, can this be accessible? And sadly, that is how it is uh, at many places, but I'm happy that that's not the way it is where you are. And I think you would agree with me, Steve Van White and that whole group is so committed to inclusion of people with disabilities. So, our leadership, Bill, specifically, has been a champion in every sense of the word for us and pushing um, a more accessible experience and putting accessibility on the table. It's no secret that Bill has a very close personal relationship with people with disabilities. He served on a um, he served on the board for a major disability specific organization here in Pittsburgh, and he was also a part of the downtown Pittsburgh Accessibility um, Consortium that really focuses on how accessible the city of Pittsburgh is. And you know, one thing when I sat down, his first question to me was. How do I hire more people with disabilities? I want to bring people with disabilities into this company. Um, and he said it with such a genuine passion. Um, and it was a genuine question. And I said to him, no, we have a lot of things that we need to do in order to create an environment that is a positive one for people with disabilities. And that doesn't mean that we're um, a great company now, but no, he is always adamant about how do we get better than where we are now. Um, in fact, Joy, when PNC won Employer of the Year from Disability Inn for its practices on disability inclusion, Bill sent our applause to the entire company saying, hey, congratulations on receiving this award. This is great, but... Here are some of the things that we need to do as a company to be better. He's challenging managers to do better. He's challenging all of us to think about accessibility from um, a standpoint of the the area that we control within our company. How do I factor accessibility into that experience? So he continued to challenge us to um, do more and be better. This was a reflection of his passion. In fact, I would say his entire leadership team is a reflection of his passion. When I came into the organization, um, Karen Lammer, who is the head of our retail after the customer, um, had her own working round table that focused on accessibility. And Vicki Hen, who was our chief human resources officer, had her own HR round table that was focused on accessibility. And so did Stephen White, who is the Head of our technology and innovation team. He is one of the biggest 
batters when it comes to batting for um, culture change and experience change within the organization. The technology is making huge strides in improving our existing state and has created a strategy for um, bringing accessibility front and center in the criteria for the technology we bring in-house. So we have been so fortunate in um, getting that positive leadership support and um, they recognize the value for the work that we're doing. And I think it's a large part and nice part because Bill himself has said, you know what, this is important. This is going to be the future of PNC, and we're going to create a better experience for our um, employees and our customers both. That is so. I agree with everything you said. I do, and I'm not surprised with that challenge you talked about. Uh, well, hey, it's our half hour on the break for our superstar anchor of Advocacy Matters, because you know we are all about keeping you up to date. And before I bring on Perry, I just wanted to mention to you that uh, the president today has nominated Julie Hawker as the Assistant Secretary of Labor um, in the uh, disability policy area. She serves as the Commissioner of Administration on Disabilities at the Administration for Community Living at the Department of Health and Human Services, and now she will be in this new role, and that just shows you how people get in touch with Voice America and with me and this radio show. And with that, Advocacy Matters. Perry, are you with us? Uh, Joyce, I am, and that's great news uh, about Julie. Uh, Many of us have met with Julie, and she has such a commitment to the employment of people with disabilities. It's truly her passion. It really, really is. And so uh, that's a great move for Julie, and congratulations to her. So uh, today we want to talk about Congress and self-driving vehicles. It's uh, an issue that uh, a lot of people in the disability community talk about, self-driving vehicles. So what is Congress doing about self-driving vehicles? The leader on the side of the disability community is the National Federation of the Blind. They're leading the disability community in the push for a national strategy on self-driving cars. The National Federation of the Blind is part of a larger coalition called the Coalition for Future Mobility. We have a link to the NFB and the Coalition for Future Mobility on our website. As always, you go to disabilityrightspa.org. You find a link to the show for today, and you get all of the information you need to educate yourselves about Congress and self-driving vehicles. So uh, at the end of the year, the coalition held a press conference in December to raise awareness about self-driving vehicles and legislation. And we have a link to an article that was written about their press conference. So in the last Congress, which was called the 115th Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives has actually passed a bill called the Self-Drive Act. Now, the Senate failed to act, 
And so that legislation uh, didn't go anywhere. Really, it passed the House, but it didn't go anywhere in the Senate. So now members of the House Energy and Commerce, as well as the Senate Commerce Committee, are looking at drafting new legislation on self-driving vehicles. But before they do that, they want to talk to advocates about what kind of language should be included in the new legislation. But it's not just Congress that's talking about this issue. The Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chow, has formed a new Transportation Council, and she did that last year, to look at emerging technologies, including self-driving cars. So we have a link to that information as well. Now, Secretary Chow was in Pittsburgh in November of last year, November 2019, to announce that Carnegie Mellon University had received the largest grant that she had on automated driving systems, and this was to look at safety and autonomous driving. And it was the largest grant uh, that she had on this issue from the U.S. Department of Transportation. So we know what advocacy matters that it's important for individuals with disabilities to get engaged and get involved. So Congress is getting ready to uh, look at this issue. So if you are interested in the issue of self-driving cars, visit our website at disabilityrightspa.org, learn more about the issue, and get in touch with members of the House and Senate Commerce Committee who are drafting this legislation. Now, when you go to disabilityrightspa.org, we have information from the National Federation of the Blind and contacts for the U.S. Senate and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. So, Joyce, that's our report for this week. Well, thank you so much, Perry. And, boy, people with epilepsy are really, really interested in this, as you might guess, as people are with many disabilities, of what that could do for them. Um, But I think that language is so important. So, uh, Perry, thank you so much. And Perry is with Disability Rights of Pennsylvania, uh, which is a great protection and advocacy organization. Please go to that website and consider making a donation. And Perry, thank you for all the work you do for us. Just so you know, I received many, many comments about how they love advocacy matters. So thank you so much. And we'll be back next week, Joyce. Can't wait. Can't wait to have you then. Take care. Okay. Okay. One more time, Julie Hawker. I want to once again congratulate you to your new position as the Assistant Secretary of Labor in Disability Policy. You know what I love? You're from Pennsylvania, so we're going to claim you. Okay, Greg, you are one of the first deaf executives at PNC. How has that been for you? Do you feel that you have been able to integrate well? Yeah, I I definitely have been able to integrate well. I don't know that I would call myself an executive in the sense of being a part of the executive leadership team, but you know, this is definitely the first time there's ever been an officer role for um, accessibility at PNC, and I, you know, myself being a deaf person, I think you learn a couple of tricks along the way in um, meeting new people at PNC who may not necessarily be well-versed 
in, um, interaction with the deaf and hard of hearing people. Sometimes you have that fear and that light experience where people just, they finally recognize that you're deaf and they don't necessarily know how to interact with you. But those are all teaching moments, and I think that every person I've interacted with, I want to say, has always had the best of intentions and simply wanted to um, know more about interacting with deaf and hard of hearing people if I might have been afraid to ask. Now, throughout my journey, mind you, I think that there are a lot of different people who are you're either a barrier to someone's development or you are a enabler of someone's development. And I have naturally tried to stick closer to those who um, want to see you thrive and want to challenge you to do more and be better, as opposed to interacting with um, those individuals who might not necessarily see the same level of potential in you. And I think that was a defining piece of the experience. Um, but for the most part, one of the things I will also say is once you've had the chance to demonstrate your value, whether it's through a fitness test or a proposal or an idea even that you want to share with a group of people, more often than not, um, the more committed you are or the more you try to demonstrate um, your competency in the space of um, whatever space you are currently working in, people will eventually begin to recognize the value that you bring to the table, and then they realize how much of an impact you have, that they don't want you to not be at the table anymore. And that eventually will happen. Um, and it is nice when that finally does happen, but it does take a lot of time, dedication, and commitment up front. Yeah, that does make the difference. And as you already mentioned, uh, and, and as we know, your CEO, Bill Demchek, I believe he has a tremendous impact on the culture of the company when it comes to awareness of people with disabilities. Yeah, definitely. Bill has been, as I mentioned, Bill is one of the biggest champions we could possibly hope to have in a CEO. Um, it's no secret that his brother had a disability, and because his brother had a disability, he has been um, very interested in making sure that people like his brother would be able to have a positive experience at PNC both as an employee and as a customer. He is um, very adamant, as I mentioned, um, about building that culture and very conscious of what happened at the front line when employees don't necessarily know what is standard etiquette when interacting with people with disabilities or, um, or you know, sometimes we have hiring managers who might have um, some concerns around hiring people with disabilities that are very natural. Mind you, not necessarily a negative thing, but there are learning opportunities for all employees, and you can find this in any company. Um, but Bill has been one of the first to step up and say, this is a important part of PNC, and we're going to make sure that this is a positive experience for everyone. And it's incumbent on all of our employees to enhance that quality of life. 
Right. Right. He he is a great man. He has done so much. Um, and Greg, you know, my whole life has been spent on employment because of this incredibly high employment of people with disabilities. Here we are going to the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americas with Disabilities Act. And how can it be possible that 70% of people with disabilities are still not counted in the workforce? How is that possible? Um, And sadly, you and I both know, Greg, that people from the deaf community have a very high unemployment rate in competitive areas. You know, I'll meet people, they're deaf. Yeah, I got a job, and it's like at McDonald's or maybe uh, at a grocery store doing stocking, but not everyone can get a job like yours. Why do you think that is? You know, Joyce, I have spent a lot of time thinking about that myself, and I am by no means a subject matter expert on uh, the employment of deaf and hard of hearing people, but what I can tell you is unscientifically, um, I categorize my thoughts into four main areas, and I'll dive into each of them. Uh, The first one is language. The second one is parents. The third is education. And the fourth is the company themselves. As with many things, Joyce, you know that there's really no silver bullet. It's a mixed bag of a variety of different variables. But the first thing, language, um, I think many deaf and hard of hearing people are deprived of fully accessible language. That doesn't necessarily mean that American Sign Language is the right way to go um, and equipping them with fluency in American Sign Language, even though that's the journey I've taken in my life. Um, there are definitely hard people who don't uh, use sign language, and they, uh, they use code captioning for their accommodations, and they have um, parents who help them to articulate what's being said outside of their physical environment. But the challenge begins when they go into um, environments that are essential to their advancement as individuals. If you go into a classroom and you don't have full language access, you're probably going to learn anywhere between 30% to 70% of the materials being taught in the classroom if you don't have full accessibility. So you are operating on a maximum of 70% of your potential. If you think about that, that is a challenge in its own right. You don't have full access to language. And also, my father has a saying, and um, I don't think it's commonly used, but I love this metaphor. Um, he has always said, I don't have the ability to osmosize. We don't have um, osmosis. And I know what you're thinking. No human being has osmosis, but it's the idea behind walking into an environment where people are talking. They're talking about current events. They're talking about a new discovery. They're talking about um, the next step in the business plan. I don't have the luxury of hearing what's going on around me. I don't have that experience where I can just pick up information at a whim. It has to be intentionally provided to me. And that's the first pain point. I think um, you know, access to language and access to information is key. The second thing is parents. Um, parents are the backbone of child development. 90% of the time, parents have to be 
willing to fight for the child. Um, for instance, you know, my mother knew healthcare better than healthcare knows itself. She knew what the doctors were really saying when they were talking about me. She knew what the experts um, were really saying when they were talking about so-and-so procedure or so-and-so um, decision. And if the doctors had their say, choice, I wouldn't even be here today. Um, so it really is thanks to both of my parents for being so, um, I think, assertive in ensuring that I had a quality upbringing and I had all the best resources and not just the standard, one of the meal, what the doctor says I should have. Um, so that's the second piece. The third piece is education. Um, unfortunately, I think, and this is a personal opinion, but I believe that standards of education are lower for people with disabilities than they are for um, people who don't have disabilities. Because teachers often empathize with these students with disabilities. They feel bad for them. And because they feel bad for them, they lower the standards, they curse the grades, they don't challenge them to deliver at the same caliber as everyone else in the classroom. And because of that, they graduate, um, they pass them through the class. So these um, students are going through classes to grades that they are not necessarily completely prepared for. And this goes back to that 70% variable I was just talking about where they don't necessarily have the same advantages as everyone else. So it is kind of a privilege for these, um, for students who don't necessarily have those types of failures. Last but not least, the company. Um, no, I would never um, overlook the fact that companies are often a big part of that. Um, companies have managers. And now people have the risk, right? A risk of human error. They don't want to hire because they're afraid of the economic burden or the time burden that it's going to take to accommodate people with disabilities. And these concerns are heartbreaking. But I've seen managers deny the perfect people out of this exact fear. And you compound all four of these areas that I just shared with you. Um, all of these might be small variables, but together they paint a significant experience. They paint a significant gap. Um, and that, I believe, is what contributes to the steep unemployment and underemployment challenges. Um, and we, as corporations and Fortune 1000 companies, owe it to uh, people with disabilities to help them become more marketable, and we've got to help them um, become more competitive in the workspace, and we need to challenge them to do um, better, and we need to challenge companies to prepare their environment for people with disabilities so that we can start working on narrowing that gap, because you're so right. The ADA was signed 30 years ago. It's so incredible to believe that we've come that long, but it's not a long time at the same time. Um, but either way, I think we could have done so much more with those 30 years than we have done. And I'm really excited because I believe that the next 20 and 30 are going to really change the way our society views people with disabilities. I do believe that. I do, too. And you all have to remember, we don't want pity. 
We want paychecks. We want to work. And when you don't hire someone with a disability, you're losing out. You're losing out on great talent. So if you want to be competitive, you know how people say, I can't find people in STEM or I can't find enough IT people, whatever it is. You have an untapped labor pool, people with disabilities, and those people want to work, can work successfully. And one other thing I want to say, Greg, that was just great information you gave. If you're listening to the show right now and you're thinking, oh, I wish whomever had heard this show, remember, this show is on demand. Apple, Spotify, Voice America, my website. As a matter of fact, you can subscribe to this podcast, Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. But when you do, I think you should share this with a lot of people because I think Greg is a national leader in the disability community. I love those uh, points that he just made. Not to mention, if you're looking for a great speaker, it's Greg. Greg Pollock. Greg, what is your email? <laughs> Thank you, Joyce. My email is Greg, G-R-E-G, dot Pollock, P-O-L-L-O-C-K, at PNC.com. And I'm going to tell you why I say that about please share this. You have no idea how many parents of children who are deaf call me and wonder, what can I do? What should I do next? A matter of fact, I'm going to share this with the Western Pennsylvania School of the Deaf, but so many people call me and they have no idea what to do. And they don't know about NTID, but I think Greg is a great role model. So please remember to share this with others uh, because it will make a difference. So, Greg, what what do you say to people? i sorry to tell you this, but I just heard this the other day. I had someone say to me, Joyce, <clears throat> you know, we have uh, a, a bottom line here, you know, with our profits. Now, how expensive would it be to hire a deaf person because, you know, we're going to have to pay for that sign language? What would you say to someone if they said that? You know, George, I have heard that before, and I tell them all, do you want to stand up front of your store, your, um, your bank, your service, whatever it is you provide, and tell every third person that you don't want their business? Nobody is going to be willing to do that. But if you bring one person that is deaf or hard of hearing, you bring one person that has a physical disability or a visual disability, you bring one of each of these people, they're going to tell their friends. You accommodate them, they're going to say, this is a great company, this is a great group of people, and they're going to bring all their friends. Um, one great example um, is that Shining Starbucks in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to go there, but I went there, and I've gone there three times. I spent the whole day there once, and what I can tell you is because they hired deaf people to work in that store, the line for deaf people trying to buy a cup of coffee is out the door all day, every day, and you can't find those dining Starbucks mugs 
anywhere in the country because they keep selling out. Um, that is the ROI right there. Okay, it doesn't matter if you hire and accommodate one person because if you hire and accommodate one person, your revenue stream is going to go up naturally. It's just out of merit for the fact that you have um, that accommodated a person with a disability. People with disabilities are so well-connected. It's no secret that um, you know, we could probably find out who has a disability and say Microsoft or Comcast or any of those other companies because we are a very small but big community at the same time. So I always tell people, you hire one person with a disability. You see how that goes. And I promise you that they will tell their friends or you might have such a positive experience that you're going to end up hiring five more because you've seen your profit margin go up by that much. I agree with you. And, and yeah, he's right because people with disabilities value uh, companies that hire people with disabilities. And well, great example that he gave with uh, Starbucks in Washington, D.C. Well, Greg, I have to tell you, it has been a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Once again, Greg Pollack, Accessibility Officer at PNC Financial Services. As you can tell from listening to the show today, a really great person. Uh, And Greg, keep on keeping on. Lead on. I know that you're going to keep moving up in your career, and I know you'll make a difference. And I have to tell you, you know, next week we're going to have uh, uh, Christy Troutman from FISA as our guest. Don't miss that show. But I end with a quote, and today that quote, because we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the ADA, has to be the only thing I cannot do is here, said I King Jordan. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with Christy Troutman. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.